Well, good morning. Kids can go ahead and come on up. And I have our children's message here this morning, so kids, you guys can go ahead and just sit here right on the floor and, uh, and come on up. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael Labovich. I'm the lead pastor here at Grand Rapids Evangelical Free Church, and so come on up and have a seat. Uh, happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas season to, to all of you. Glad you guys could come here here this morning. Now, uh, as you might remember from my children's messages back in the summertime, I always, yeah, I always start with a question here this morning. So the question is this. Have you ever made anyone an invitation for something? Have you ever made an invitation for something? Yeah, you have? Okay, so, so raise your hand if you have. Raise your hand if you've made an invitation. Good. All right. You've never made an invitation. Has, it, has your mom made an invitation? No. no. <laughs> has your dad made invitations? No, because if your mom has that, why would your dad, right? Okay, so, uh, but yes, yeah, so, so an invitation. So what do you put on an invitation? Yeah. Yeah, so dear and then the name, right? So, so the invitation is to someone, right? And what are you usually inviting them to? Yeah. A party, right? So you're usually inviting them to a party. And what details do you put on that invitation? Does anyone know? What are different details you put on? What time, right? When is it going to happen? Yeah. When is it going to happen? When, right? So when's it going to happen? Where it's going to happen, right? Those things are very important. People need to know when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen. What else? Day. What day? What else? Do you know? What else do you put? The year. Oh, about whose birthday party? Someone's birthday party. Excellent. Yes, very good. Yeah. Your phone number, contact information, right, to learn more about the invitation, right? So invitations are a very normal thing, right? So usually if there's a big event or if there's a big deal or there's something uh, really exciting that's going to happen, there's an invitation that usually tells people. uh, And sometimes they have actually two forms of it. There's an announcement, right? So how many of you have ever known anyone who's gotten engaged to get married? Okay, so normally when someone is engaged, first they have a big announcement, right? And the big announcement is to tell everyone that the engagement is happening, and then they'll send out wedding invitations, and they'll tell people, hey, come to the wedding on this day. Well, here in the, uh, today, we're actually going to be starting our Advent series. Now, the book, or the, the word Advent actually means to arrive, right? Or the arrival. That's literally what Advent means. And Advent is all about, this Advent season is all about the arrival of who? Jesus, right? It's Jesus's birthday party, literally, right? So, so Advent is a time that we are getting excited about Jesus's birth. And actually the whole Bible is all pointing to this moment. The whole Bible points to the moment where God himself, the fullness of God, came in the flesh of a human being to save us right? To reveal who God is to us and to save us. It says this in the book of Luke. If you, uh, and grownups, if you guys have your Bibles, in the book of Luke, and this is our memory verse here today, it says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. You see, the prophets, what it means to be a prophet is literally just to speak the words of God. It's someone who stands between God and people, and they just speak the words of God to the people, and the prophets were the ones who announced. Now, if you guys, do you guys know what this is? Has anyone seen what this is before? Candles. Candles. They are candles. Do you know what kind of candles they are? 
Advent candles, right? So Advent candles, you might not know this. So the Advent candles, actually each of these candles has a name. Okay, and it's not just purple, right? So, so, so this candle, right? So we actually have the prophet's candle, uh, the shepherd's candle. I'm sorry, the prophet's candle, the Bethlehem candle, the shepherd's candle, the angel's candle, and then the Christ candle in the center. And so every week of Advent, right? This is the first Sunday of Advent. We are going to be lighting a different one. So this candle this week is the prophet's candle. This candle is to show us that Jesus was actually talked about all the way in the, in the book of Genesis, that from the very beginning, God wanted his people, God wanted his world to know that a savior would come. A savior would come, that in the Garden of Eden, when the fall came, that a savior would come who would save God's people from their sin and their darkness and their pain. Have you ever heard the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? You guys heard that song? Right, that song is all about the angst and the longing and the heartbreak as we go through life, and sometimes things get really hard, but God gave us this amazing invitation all throughout his Bible, showing and saying to us that a Savior was coming. Now today, we're actually going to be going quickly through some biblical history, right? If you guys have, uh, if you look up here also, uh, grown-ups again in your bulletins, you'll see a very tiny picture of this. Uh, but actually, the whole of the Bible, now there are a few ways to do this. One is to go through all the history, right? So up here, we see creation, the fall, the flood, the patriarchs, the exodus, the wilderness, the promised land, judges, kings, exile, return, incarnation, death and resurrection, the church and revelation. And that's the whole redemptive history of the entire Bible. Now, if you go to the next slide here, we'll see sometimes it's put in this way. We're actually God making promises with people. He makes a promise with, a, uh, with Adam at creation. He makes a promise with with uh, Noah. He makes a promise with Abraham, with Moses, with David. Of course, a new promise, a new covenant with Jesus. And then we even have a promise of believers that we will get to be with God in all eternity in glory. Now, there's a couple ways to look at the whole Bible, but the whole picture is this, that this book is one big invitation to know Jesus. This book is one big invitation that we can know the arrival of God's Son to save us. So with that, let's pray as we dig into the Bible here this morning and see God's invitation for us. And then after we pray, you can have some candy. <laughs> so God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your invitation. That for thousands of years, literally, Lord, thousands of years, you told this world that you were coming. For thousands of years, Lord, you didn't say exactly when, but you said where. You didn't exactly tell us how it would look, uh, but you said who would be involved. And Lord Jesus, most importantly, you, uh, though we would not hear it, and though humanity would constantly turn away and not listen, God, you didn't stop telling us that you were coming. And God, even here this morning, you don't stop telling us that salvation is here. And we merely need to hear your words and follow you, Jesus, to know you all the days of our lives and to know your salvation for us. We love you, Jesus, and I pray that you cause each of us to know you and hear you this morning, that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, Lord, that you would open your scriptures, open your word to us, Jesus, to see you and know you uh, truthfully, Lord, and we, we do, we love you. We want to know your word straightforward. We don't want to manipulate or twist, but Lord, we want to see your word revealed in you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. All right, you guys can each come up and have one piece of candy. All right, and grown-ups, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Luke. So we're going to be in the book of Luke. 
We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be starting here this morning with this proclamation. And this is actually the last prophecy of Jesus. It's the last prophecy of the Messiah just before Jesus is born, right? So in the book of Luke, we see uh, probably the most expansive uh, kind of zoom in to Jesus' birth that we see throughout the Bible, and especially here in the beginning of Luke. In Luke 1, we see uh, John the Baptist, so we see actually literally the prophet John intermixed with Jesus, both in the telling of their birth stories as well as their prophecies of what they're going to do and why they're coming. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 1. And in verse 57, now if you don't know this, what, what happened here is that Zechariah was, was a priest, right? He was, he was the high priest who was chosen to go in, or he wasn't the high priest, he was the priest who was chosen to go in for his people. And when he went in to uh, make intercession for his people, the angel spoke to him and said, you're going to have a son. And he laughed. He didn't believe it. And so then Zechariah was muted, right? He couldn't speak. Literally, his mouth was bound up. And it is a beautiful image of us, or for us, that what happens when, when God uh, doesn't speak. You know, for 400 years of silence, right? That, that's the, the time period that, that is often called between the book of Malachi and all the way to the book of Matthew, right? That there's 400 years of this time where the people of God had, had no hope. We, we were just relying on the Old Testament, and then all of a sudden... An angel appears to Zechariah and speaks, and Zechariah doesn't believe it. He, he laughs at it, and the, and the angel says, Zechariah, now you shall not speak. But now, zipping ahead to verse 57, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. She bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise this child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no. No, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And then we see this amazing thing happen that when Zechariah writes down his name is John, his lips, his mouth is broke open. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessings to God. Look at the very first thing that Zechariah did was begin to worship. And fear came on all of their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him? Now, if you've been with us in the fall, that, that idea, that hand of the Lord, we saw that all throughout the book of Ezra, that the good hand of God was on Ezra, the good hand of God was on his people, that the good hand of God was on his anointed servants. And here, the good hand of God is on this little baby, is on John. And then verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's important because in the Old Testament, and actually another way to look at biblical, uh, at this whole biblical picture, so we talked about, you can go through redemptive history, we talked about the covenants, another way is dispensations, right? It's how God has worked in certain ways at certain times, and we'll talk a little bit about that in the weeks to come. But in the Old Testament, we see that God worked, his Holy Spirit didn't live inside of people, right? That was totally foreign, 
the Holy Spirit would come on, on to people and could fill people up and, and the Holy Spirit would do amazing things. But the, God didn't live inside of us. You had to go to a temple to meet with God. You had to go to, to a place. You had to have intercessors that the Spirit of God himself wasn't indwelling in anybody. He would just come on in power. That, you see that all throughout the Old Testament. Here, Zechariah is treated the same way. Holy Spirit comes upon Zechariah and he begins to prophesy. And he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, he says to John, his child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. You see, John is an ultimate picture of what prophets do and that the whole Old Testament was to point people to this one who would bring salvation because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby, or to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God where the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. You know, one of the things that I have always loved about Christmas is Christmas lights. And actually, truly, one of the things that I always grew up with was an advent candle. We always had an advent candle wreath on my, on my dining room table when I was growing up. We always had advent candles uh, in our church. Of course, I grew up Lutheran, so we always had the, uh, the, the giant kind of candelabras. And I was just talking this morning with someone who was an acolyte. I was an acolyte when I was younger and, and a teenager, so I would always light those big candles too. But there's something about light that shapes us. There's something about light that we just immediately understand that it brings hope and life and that when you see light in the darkness, things are good, right? That when we see light, that is exactly what John was to bring, to give light to those sitting in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And we see throughout the Bible that that is what prophecy is, that prophecy is God speaking through his people to point people to his redemption. Now, uh, obviously, we know the prophet, sometimes that was a hard word. Sometimes that was a hard thing to say. Sometimes God was speaking through his people, warning them, saying, turn from your wicked ways. Turn lest judgment come upon you. Sometimes those, those judgments and those prophecies, and yet even intermixed in all those prophecies, and we know some of the very famous ones, that were all kind of pointing to a Messiah, a Savior, a King, someone who would redeem and save their people, someone that was a bigger picture than just a human earthly king who would come on the throne. But even before the prophets, even before you know the major prophets and the minor, minor prophets, before Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, way before, all the way back in the book of Genesis, we see the prophet of God, Moses, writing down these first five books of the Old Testament, that is the Torah, the Pentateuch. And in these books of prophecy, at the very beginning, Moses 
here as he is recounting what God has revealed to him happened in the very beginning of creation. That from the very beginning of time, God knew the brokenness that we face as humanity and knew we needed a savior. It says this in Genesis 3. So after, and most of you know the story that God created man and God created a woman, that he created them in the, in the Garden of Eden, and that in that garden, that the enemy, that Satan, taking the form of a serpent, came and deceived both of them, right? He deceived the woman. Adam was just standing there, not doing anything, right? He was letting this whole thing happen. Uh, there was actually a great book years ago written by uh, Dr. Larry Crabb called The Silence of Adam, that he stood there and just let it happen. And so uh, Satan deceived the woman. He deceived Adam. He, they took of the fruit. They ate of the fruit. And then God speaks in. And this is what God says to the serpent. Genesis 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat in the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, in the Old Testament, there isn't actually a whole lot of knowledge as to what that meant, except that there seemed to be these two lines, a line and an offspring of Satan, and a line and an offspring of God himself. And so actually, when Adam and Eve begin to bear children, they have these two kids. They have Cain, and they have Abel. Now, the Old Testament actually says Abel was a prophet. Abel, a lot of good things happened with Abel, Genesis 4. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He was a shepherd. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Abel, by the way, you might not all the way back, one of the very first careers of a human was a shepherd. All pointing to the great shepherd who would come. Now in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, of their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain, his offering, he had no regard. So Cain killed Abel. So Abel was not the serpent crusher. The hope of humanity, the hope of, of this holy offspring, this holy seed, this one who would come in and redeem the people and they could go back in the garden and yay, all would be good, didn't happen with Abel. Abel died. Their savior died. What were they supposed to do? And then we see throughout the whole, the, the whole Old Testament, this line begin to play out. And we see actually these competing sides. And we see God revealing himself again and again to his people, saying that this Savior and the Messiah, this one that you wait for, will come. Eventually, there's a man named Moses. Now, Moses obviously had a relationship with God that was unparalleled. He was a prophet of God that, that many had esteemed as the ultimate. Deuteronomy 34.10 says this about Moses. And there has not arisen... Uh, this is 3410 in Deuteronomy. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his servants, to all his land, for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So Moses himself eventually would be kind of this ultimate prophet of God. 
the one who had seen God face to face, the one who had spoken with God, or at least had seen God's backside, right? <laughs> that, that we see Moses have this relationship with God that we had not seen since really uh, Abraham and even Noah before that. That Moses kind of stands out, and yet Moses himself, all the way back then in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, says this about the prophet to come. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen to. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will, rise up, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word of the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. See, God said, even through Moses, that a greater prophet would come. One would come even beyond Moses. And we see in the New Testament that the one who came, the one to come, is Jesus. If you have your Bibles, continue on here with me in this journey to the book of John. In John 1... The Apostle John paints a picture for us that is unparalleled to anything else that, that really was even people were expecting. They were expecting maybe a human like Moses. They were expecting a human who, who would come and lead their people and speak to people. But here in the book of John, John 1, we see God paint this picture that his word in the mouths of the prophets would be even better. That the prophet to come would not just be a human speaking the word of God, it would be the word of God. Hear that again, that the prophet to come would not just be a human speaking the word of God, it would be the word of God as a human. John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning of with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. You remember all the way back in Genesis, even before Genesis 3, Genesis 1, we see God, the Father. We see the Holy Spirit hovering. And then what does God do? He says, let there be light. God speaks word. And there's light. Creation. All of a sudden it occurs in Genesis 1. And here the New Testament author says that was the word of God. That is the logos. That is the one that we've been waiting for, to hear God himself revealed who this creator God is. I don't know about you, but God is hard to understand sometimes. It's hard to wrap your mind around God. The fact that God has always been and always will be and was never created, that's, that's weird, right? We as humans, we're created. We get that. God himself is beyond us. We need him to show us who he is because we don't understand him. And it says here that in the very beginning, his word 
was there at creation. And then verse 14 of John 1, the word became flesh. That his very words were not coming through a prophet, not coming through a person. They were in a person. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at their father's side. He has made him known. And then it continues on uh, in the book of Luke. And actually, you could just go back here. Uh, in my Bible, you literally just flip a page back to Luke 24. At the end of Jesus' life, after his resurrection, before he was raised in heaven, Jesus says this to his disciples. This is Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, and this is Jesus talking, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, if you know the Old Testament, there's a thing called the Tanakh, right? It's, it's kind of those T-N-K. It's the, the Torah, the Kedavim, and the Nevim, right? That, that, that you have, or the Nephilim, that you have this, this organization of the Old Testament that when here Jesus says, Moses, that's the Torah, the prophets, and then the writings, the Psalms, that, that the whole Bible at, that's, at this point points to him. He said that all those things written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins, sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You see, Jesus himself said the whole Old Testament is pointing to him, the one true word to come. And then right after this, in the book of Acts, we see Jesus, him, or we see the, the apostle Peter speaking to the, the masses that were surrounding him. This is in Acts 2, verse 29, as the New Testament continues to point to Jesus. This is Acts 2, 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet. Do you see how many prophets were in the Old Testament? Abraham, Abel, Moses, David, all these guys who had these, had these relationships with God were all pointing to this one to come. See, when we talk about Christmas, when we talk about Christ, we are talking about God himself, the word of God, his very fullness and presence as a human that we can know. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet, this again is David, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, 
having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You see, humans, we don't like to hear the word of God. We don't like, we pretend like we do. We pretend like we want to hear God's word for our lives, but oftentimes we don't. You know, most of you know the famous scriptures, John 3.16, but have you ever continued to read? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. You see, from the very beginning, humanity, we have always tried to squelch and cover and destroy God's voice. We've tried to block out his light, and yet God's light always remains because his light is Jesus Christ himself, God himself. In the book of Hebrews, it says this about Jesus. This is Hebrews 3, 1 through 11. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, we've already talked about Jesus as the high priest all throughout the book of Ezra here at the very end of Ezra, how Jesus is the great priest, right? He is the one. Ezra is just pointing to Jesus. That Ezra, as he would intercede for the people, Jesus is the ultimate intercessor. As, Je- as Ezra would, uh, would stand in the gap, Jesus is the ultimate one who stands in the gap. That Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house, as more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. The builder of all things is God. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confession and confidence and our boasting and our hope. And so we see this, that Jesus, as the Word incarnate, the Word in flesh, that he's not just a person speaking the Word of God, but he is the Word itself. When Jesus speaks through his Word, that that is the primary way for us to hear God even today. Hebrews continues in verse, chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Chapter four, verse nine. So then there remains a Sabbath for the rest, for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. 
so that no one may, be, may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature, creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of to whom we must give an account. You see, the, the New Testament even continues to point back to Jesus and saying that Jesus is the word of salvation, not just for the Jews, but for all of us. And the question is, will you listen? In 2 Peter, Peter himself says this, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word even more fully confirmed, which to you, you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, from the very beginning of the word, from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see the word of God speaking through people, God himself speaking directly to the serpent, saying that his end will come. And as the Old Testament continues to guide us through, ultimately then in the birth of Jesus, the word of God come in the flesh and then after Jesus, after his incarnation, his death and resurre re resurrection, that we can know God Almighty through Jesus Christ himself. And then Jesus, through his apostles, would continue to write, that God would continue to write the New Testament, and that the Old and New Testaments together would point ultimately to him. So that all the way in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus could say this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires uh, take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. As we enter this season of Advent, we certainly celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. We celebrate his arrival. We'll continue to look at his arrival. But know this, that Jesus is alive now. He can be known now. And now is the time of salvation. Now is the time to know Jesus. Don't just know the prophecies about him. Don't just know the cool things up here intellectually that God ties his whole Bible together to point us to Jesus. Know Jesus personally. Because Jesus is coming again. 
when we look at the Advent season, we don't just get to celebrate that Jesus did come. We get to celebrate that there will be another Advent. There will be another arrival and that Jesus will come again. Do you know him? Will you know him? And will you hear the word of God through him in relationship with him? Let's pray. So God, we thank you that you, Jesus, word incarnate, have come. We thank you, Lord, that from the very beginning of time, you sent prophecy to speak to us, to show us that you were coming, and that, Lord, even here to this day, you show us that you have now come and that you are coming again. And I pray, Jesus, that you cause each of us to know you, to see you, to hear you. And Lord, if there be anyone in this room here this morning that doesn't know you, Jesus, that you would cause them to know, God, how much you love them. That you cross through the heavens itself to come to earth, to reveal who you are to us, to die for us, to save us, as Zechariah said. That you would fulfill the promises to your people and that you would call us home through your son and in your son. And God, for us who do know you today, I pray that you cause us to celebrate you and worship you and thank you this Advent season. As we don't know just a prophet, we know your word incarnate. We don't just believe teachings about you. We know your word itself. That we don't just hear things about you, God, but that we know you for real, indwelling in us and your people. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you sent your son. And God, we look to you this Advent season, and we say thank you. Amen. Hebrews 3 says, For Jesus has been counted worthy more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house, as more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. If you'd like prayer here after the service, we invite you to come forward and pray with us. For right now, please receive the benediction. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord ever turn his countenance upon you and give you his peace. May the Lord cause you to know his word in Jesus Christ incarnate. May God cause you to know him, to hear him, to follow him. And may you be a part of his house. May you hold fast your confidence and your boasting in the hope that is found in only Jesus. And may you bring his light, his hope, to the world that so desperately needs him. Go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ. Amen.